Ask anyone who grew up in Brooklyn in the 1950s to describe their childhood, and they're almost guaranteed to talk about Ebbets Field. They remember hearing the cheers and seeing the lights from their bedroom windows blocks away. They remember the smells around the stadium of hot dogs and popcorn and horse manure. There were still horse-drawn carts in the neighborhood then. And of course, they remember the first time they saw the Brooklyn Dodgers play there and what those players, like Pee Wee Reese, Gil Hodges, and Jackie Robinson, meant to the community. They'll also almost certainly remember those Dodgers winning the World Series in 1955. This is Steve Flicker, who's lived in Brooklyn most of his life. I remember uh, hearing on the radio, uh, it was car radio, because I'm pretty sure school was in session, if I remember correctly. And uh, it was a ground ball to Pee Wee Reese. It was two to nothing. And I'm thinking, don't boot it. Don't make an error. And Reese has it. There's the throw to Hodges. Catch it. Catch it. It's like something is still going to go wrong, you know? It was because we had gotten close so many years. For the Dodgers, it had always been wait until next year. But this was the year. Oh, my God. It was horns were honking. Delis were giving out free hot dogs. I mean, the one and only World Series and the sad part. That was Lewis Wunderlich, another Brooklyn native. He not only remembers that World Series win, but also what happened just a couple years later. When they left at the end of the 57 season, they won the World Series in 1959 in L.A. It was like a, a hole in your heart. Some folks say that when the Dodgers left Brooklyn, they took the heart of the borough with them. And maybe it's because I grew up in California as a Los Angeles Dodgers fan and have lived in Brooklyn for many years now myself, but I had to know, what was it about the Dodgers that made them so special to kids growing up here? The old movies that were made in the 50s about World War II, it was almost like stereotypically one guy in the foxhole who was from Brooklyn. He would always go Dem and D's and Do's, and he was like, you know, not the brightest guy in the world. And this was kind of the image of Brooklyn, and it was like the poor stepchild of Manhattan. And Brooklyn Dodgers gave us our only real, true, unique identity. At the heart of that identity were the players who were insanely accessible to fans compared to players today. They lived in the Flatbush area. They rented homes uh, all in the same area, not far from the ballpark. We'd hang at the front entrance, and cabs used to pull up with the ball players, and they used to be mobbed. Uh, everyone handed them autographs. As a matter of fact, even uh, during the game, there was a chain-link fence and a, and a runway that connected the clubhouse to the dugout. And if you stood there, you'd stop them and pass them paper and pencil through the chain link fence, and they would sign it for you. It was such a different aspect. The homey feel of the, of the you know, it's like a community at Ebbets Field. I just can't imagine anything like that in the corporate aspect of baseball nowadays. And Ebbets Field was tiny. You were close, close to the players. So, I mean, you could really see them. It was like a, I learned over time it was a special community. And even though she wasn't much of a baseball fan herself, Goldie Zwiebel remembers the Dodgers and Ibbets Field being central to her sense of community growing up, too. It was a very much family neighborhood. I knew the name of the dog down the street. 
of course, the, the grocer and the candy store guy and the butcher guy. We just knew everybody. It was a real hometown kind of feeling. The sound of the radios everywhere, in a car, in the street, on the stoop, the sound of being tuned into the baseball games. Wherever you went, in the store, that was the sound. You heard the announcer, and you heard the crowd roar, and you heard the, the you know, sounds of baseball being played. And whenever there was a game there, I could see the lights reflected off the apartment building behind me. That's how bright it was. And I could hear the crowds cheering from my bedroom. It was a fact of life at its field. And then when we were told that they were taken again, it was like, you know, that can't be possible. In 1958, the Dodgers moved to Los Angeles. Two years after that, Ebbets Field was demolished. Then, in 1962, the Ebbets Field apartment complex opened in the footprint of the old stadium. Steve, Lewis, and Goldie all said the neighborhood changed dramatically during this time. There was a sort of a quietness about mm. it, and then one day it closed, and we read that the Dodgers were now in California. And eventually they tore it down, and they built up these projects where people lived, and it was like... You know, the world had changed. And around that time, everything, the neighborhood changed. The stores changed. My friends were, you know, mostly all white. Not mm. necessarily Jewish, but were white. And then suddenly the neighborhood literally changed. And my friends became mixed. Like many other families that had come of age in the Ebbetsfield Stadium era, Goldie's family eventually moved out of the neighborhood. Thanks largely to the allure of suburbanization, which was generally only available to white people at that time, the racial makeup of the community changed, right around the time the Ebbetsfield apartment complex was developed. I talked to Adam Steinberg, an urban geographer, about what was happening with housing in and around New York City during the mid-20th century. Some new technologies, as well as a lot of government subsidies, uh, there was an explosion in the development of detached single-family home, uh, and that was a huge area of development after World War II. Uh, and it allowed millions of Americans, really, to move out of city centers into these new suburbs. Uh, at the same time, the housing they were often moving out of was being torn down and replaced with uh, what would eventually be called housing projects. These, you know, cities in the sky, where everybody gets a nice corner apartment and a building surrounded by uh, grassy lawns and playgrounds and so forth. Uh, and the idea is that, you know, this new housing project would complement the suburban housing. The problem, Adam says, is that housing projects were often poorly funded because most of the state and federal subsidies supported suburbanization. So there, there wasn't that much money, nearly enough, going into the housing projects. And a lot of that money that was going into the housing projects uh, wasn't going to what we would call affordable housing. Uh, it was going to middle-class housing. So what you have is this huge growing class of lower-income uh, city residents, often non-white, who were basically barred from moving to the suburbs. With few other options, non-white residents were moving into housing projects that frequently lacked resources. And despite the initial hopes and efforts of city planners, building community in and around these projects proved to be difficult. At the same time, crime rates were going up in the city, and housing projects, and the people who lived in them, were often blamed for that. There were a lot of concerns and complaints 
because often they found themselves isolated. Uh, services were not always available. Uh, shopping was not necessarily just downstairs and around the corner. It was hard to get to know your neighbors, uh, especially when you lived in a really large building and didn't know who lived next to you. People didn't hang out in the hallways the way they used to hang out on the stoop. Housing projects sometimes became associated with even more crime. Uh, and there is a fair amount of evidence that these projects were harder to police uh, than have been the older built environment, uh, that these very long stairwells uh, and these big plazas and lobbies that weren't really being used that much uh, became places that were even more unsafe. But I don't think the housing project caused the crime rate to go up. The crime rate was already going up. So at best, the housing project was an attempt to fight that. At worst, it aggravated it. But it didn't cause it. Fast forward a few decades, and the Ebbetsfield apartment complex continues to face many of the same challenges it faced early on. Poor funding, negligent management, and organized crime. But there's more to the community's story than that. I wanted to learn more about the neighborhood today from someone who lives there now. So I met with Jean Rowe, the principal at nearby Ebbetsfield Middle School. About half the school students, who are about the same age as Steve, Lewis, and Goldie were when the Dodgers won the World Series, are residents of the Ebbetsfield Apartments. We started out by talking about Miss Rowe's personal connection to the neighborhood. I was born in Jamaica and I came here between 11 and 12. We came to the Bronx originally and then we moved to New Jersey. After college, I moved to New York, so I've lived here for 20 plus years. Originally, I lived in Queens and then I moved to Brooklyn, East Flatbush. As soon as she started working there, Miss Rowe knew the Ebbetsfield Middle School community was special. When I arrived, to my surprise and my excitement, the students were reflective of a variety of cultures. So we had students from the Middle East, from Africa. We have students from Central America, the Caribbean. We have African-American students that give students an opportunity to get to know other cultures. And it also um, is exciting for the adults here because you get to actually learn from your students some of the things that they value culturally and how so many of those things that the students value within their culture is also the same things that they value. Ebbetsfield provides a unique opportunity to just be engaged with other cultures. The importance of cultural engagement is not lost on Ms. Rowe and the rest of the school staff. They embrace the unique diversity of the campus in both the curriculum and in their community building efforts. We're a culturally responsive school, so in our curriculum we try to include a variety of cultures. So that's the first thing when we're planning our content. We think about the children in the room and how can we engage them in the content through cultural experiences. As a school community, we're trying this year to plan monthly events that engages all students and is reflective of all cultures. So that parents will come up and be able to mix, mingle, and learn about other members in the community and also provide our students with that experience as well. Ms. Rowe has lived here for a long time and she clearly has a very positive view of the Ebbetsfield community. I wondered how she would respond to someone who thinks that when the Dodgers left and the stadium was torn down, that the neighborhood changed for the worse. For me, thinking about this being Ebbets Field and what happened here with Jackie Robinson integrating baseball and how the, um, that brought about 
an enormous amount of change. It's one of the things that attracted me to um, take the position here at Ebbets Field and to build on that change. Our world is changing. This community is very diverse and is reflective of what's happening all over the world, and we need to celebrate that change and to create a community where we are learning from each other, supporting each other, and building on each other. The students here and the families here, they are a community that really believes in strong family values. And, and it's just amazing to see how the families interact, the students interact, and they really come together, and they are working together as a community to support each other. I was also curious about what Ms. Rowe thought about recent changes in the neighborhood, which has been gentrifying in the past few years. I'm hoping that it will bring new opportunities for the neighborhood, um, exposure to different things, but will also, that change will build on the values and the community and the strength that was already in existence here. So I just see it as an addition to what has already been established here. When you think back to Jackie Robinson and what happened here, that created a certain value system, a certain community, a certain culture. We built on that. We went through changes. But through and through, this community continues to thrive. And it will continue to thrive with the change. And we will have an opportunity to be exposed to different things. And we will continue to work collaboratively and, you know, be even stronger. I went into this story wanting to get a better sense of what Ebbets Field, which has been synonymous with this part of Brooklyn for over a hundred years, first as a baseball stadium, then as a housing project, means to a neighborhood it's been a part of for so long. Now, I only talked to four people, an incredibly small sample for a place with such an enduring legacy. But one thing really stands out to me. All four of the people I talked to who don't know each other made essentially the same point, that Brooklyn is so much more than its worst reputation at any given time. It's so special because so many people from so many different places have had a chance to call it home, and in the process, they made it a community. You know, Frankie, I just remembered something. You know, I never did tell you that I've been to Brooklyn, did I? Yeah, I used to go there to Ebbets Field to see the Dodgers play. No kidding. Sure. Oh, boy, the Dodgers. You know, that's where I learned my marksmanship. How do you mean? <laughs> Tossing pop bottles at the umpire. 